Sermon 34 of Leo the Great, Bishop of Rome. Translated by Charles Lett Felto. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sermon 34 On the Feast of the Epiphany 4. 1. The yearly observance of the Epiphany is profitable to Christians. It is the right and reasonable duty of true piety, dearly beloved, on the days which bear witness to the works of divine mercy, to rejoice with the whole heart and to celebrate with all honor the things which have been wrought for our salvation. For the very law of recurring seasons calls us to such devout observance, and has now brought before us the Feast of the Epiphany, consecrated by the Lord's appearance soon after the day on which the Son of God, co-eternal with the Father, was born of a virgin. And herein the providence of God has established a great safeguard to our faith, so that, whilst the worship of the Saviour's earliest infancy is repeated year by year, the production of true man's nature in him might be proved by the original verifications themselves. For this it is that justifies the ungodly, this it is that makes sinners saints, to wit, the belief in the true Godhead and the true manhood of the one Jesus Christ our Lord. The Godhead, whereby being before all ages, in the form of God, he is equal with the Father. The manhood, whereby in the last days he is united to man in the form of a slave. For the confirmation, therefore, of this faith, which was to be forearmed against all errors, it was a wondrous loving provision of the divine plan, that a nation which dwelt in the far-off country of the East, and was cunning in the art of reading the stars, should receive the sign of the infant's birth, who was to reign over all Israel. For the unwanted splendor of a bright new star appeared to the wise men, and filled their mind with such wonder as they gazed upon its brilliance, that they could not think they ought to neglect what was announced to them with such distinctness. And, as the event showed, the grace of God was the disposing cause of this wondrous thing, who, when the whole of Bethlehem itself was still unaware of Christ's birth, brought it to the knowledge of the nations who would believe, and declared that which human words could not yet explain, through the preaching of the heavens. 2. Both Herod and the wise men originally had an earthly conception of the kingdom signified, but the latter learnt the truth, the former did not. But although it was the office of the divine condescension to make the Saviour's nativity recognizable to the nations, Yet for the understanding of the wondrous sign, the wise men could have had intimation even from the ancient prophecies of Balaam, knowing that it was predicted of old, and by constant repetition spread abroad. A star shall rise out of Jacob, and a man shall rise out of Israel, and shall rule the nations. And so the three men, aroused by God through the shining of a strange star, follow the guidance of its twinkling light thinking they will find the babe designated at Jerusalem in the royal city. But finding themselves mistaken in this opinion, through the scribes and teachers of the Jews they learnt what the Holy Scripture had foretold of the birth of Christ, so that, confirmed by a twofold witness, they sought with still more eager faith him whom both the brightness of the star and the sure word of prophecy revealed. And when the divine oracle was proclaimed through the chief priest's answers, and the Spirit's voice declared, which says, And thou, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, art not least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a leader to rule my people Israel. 
how easy and how natural it was that the leading men among the Hebrews should believe what they taught. But it appears that they held material notions with Herod, and reckoned Christ's kingdom as on the same level as the powers of this world, so that they hoped for a temporal leader, while he dreaded an earthly rival. The fear that racks thee, Herod, is wasted. In vain dost thou try to vent thy rage on the infant thou suspectest. The realm cannot hold Christ. The Lord of the world is not satisfied with the narrow limits of thy sway. He whom thou dost not wish to reign in Judea reigns everywhere, and thou wouldst rule more happily thyself if thou wert to submit to his command. Why dost thou not do with sincerity what in treacherous falseness thou dost promise? Come with the wise men, and in suppliant adoration worship the true king. For thou, from too great fondness for Jewish blindness, wilt not imitate the nation's faith, and directest thy stubborn heart to cruel wiles. Though thou art doomed neither to stay him whom thou fearest, nor to harm them whom thou slayest. 3. The perseverance of the Magi has led to the most important results. Led then, dearly beloved, into Bethlehem, by obeying the guidance of the star, the wise men rejoiced with very great joy, as the evangelist has told us, and entering the house found the child with Mary his mother, and falling down they worshipped him, and opening their treasures they presented to him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What wondrous faith of perfect knowledge, which was taught them not by earthly wisdom, but by the instruction of the Holy Spirit. Whence came it that these men, who had quitted their country without having seen Jesus, and had not noticed anything in his looks to enforce such systematic adoration, observed this method in offering their gifts, unless it were that besides the appearance of the star, which attracted their bodily eyes, the more refulgent rays of truth taught their hearts, that before they started on their toilsome road they must understand that he was signified to whom was owed in gold royal honor, in incense divine adoration, in myrrh the acknowledgment of mortality. Such a belief and understanding, no doubt, as far as the enlightenment of their faith went, might have been sufficient in themselves, and have prevented their using their bodily eyes in inquiring into that which they had beheld with their mind's fullest gaze. But their sagacious diligence, persevering till they found the child, did good service for future peoples, and for the men of our own time, so that, as it profited us all that the Apostle Thomas, after the Lord's resurrection, handled the traces of the wounds in his flesh, so it was of advantage to us that his infancy should be attested by the visit of the wise men. And so the wise men saw and adored the child of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of David according to the flesh, made from a woman, made under the law, which he had come not to destroy but to fulfill. They saw and adored the child, small in size, powerless to help others, incapable of speech, and in naught different to the generality of human children. Because, as the testimonies were trustworthy, which asserted in him the majesty of invisible Godhead, so it ought to be impossible to doubt that the Word became flesh, and the eternal essence of the Son of God took man's true nature, lest either the inexpressible marvels of his acts which were to follow, or the infliction of sufferings which he had to bear, should overthrow the mystery of our faith by their inconsistency, 
seeing that no one at all can be justified, save those who believe the Lord Jesus Christ to be both true God and true man. 4. The Manichaean heresy corrupts the scriptures in order to disprove the truth. This peerless faith, dearly beloved, this truth, proclaimed throughout all ages, is opposed by the devilish blasphemies of the Manichaeans, who, to murder the souls of the deceived, have woven a deadly tissue of wicked doctrine out of impious and forged lies, and over the ruins of their mad opinions men have fallen headlong to such depths as to imagine a Christ with a fictitious body, who presented nothing solid, nothing real to the eyes and touch of men, but displayed an empty shape of fancy flesh. For they wish it to be thought unworthy of belief, that God, the Son of God, placed himself within a woman's body, and subjected his majesty to such a degradation as to be joined to our fleshly nature, and be born in the true body of human substance, although this is entirely the outcome of his power, not of his ill-treatment. And it is his glorious condescension, not his being polluted, that should be believed in. For if yonder visible light is not marred by any of the uncleanness with which it is encompassed, and the brightness of the sun's rays, which is doubtless a material creature, is not contaminated by any of the dirty or muddy places to which it penetrates, is there anything, whatever its quality, which could pollute such essence of that eternal and immaterial light? Seeing that by allying himself to that creature which he had made after his own image, he furnished it with purification, and received no stain, and healed the wounds of its weakness without suffering loss of power. And because this great and unspeakable mystery of divine godliness was announced by all the testimonies of the Holy Scriptures, those opponents of the truth of which we speak have rejected the law that was given through Moses, and the divinely inspired utterances of the prophets, and have tampered with the very pages of the Gospels and Apostles by removing or inserting certain things, forging for themselves under the apostles' names, and under the words of the Saviour himself, many volumes of falsehood, whereby to fortify their lying errors and instill deadly poison into the minds of those to be deceived. For they saw that everything contradicted and made against them, and that not only by the new, but also by the old testament, their blasphemous and treacherous folly was confuted. And yet, persisting in their mad lies, they ceased not to disturb the church of God with their deceits, persuading those miserable creatures whom they can ensnare to deny that man's nature was truly taken by the Lord Jesus Christ, to deny that he was truly crucified for the world's salvation, to deny that from his side, wounded by the spear, flowed the blood of redemption and the water of baptism, to deny that he was buried and raised again the third day, to deny that in sight of the disciples he was lifted above all the heights of the skies to take his seat on the right hand of the Father, and, in order that when all the truth of the Apostles' Creed was destroyed, there may be nothing to frighten the wicked or inspire the saints with hope, to deny the living and the dead must be judged by Christ, so that those whom they have robbed of the power of these great mysteries may learn to worship Christ in the sun and moon, and under the name of the Holy Spirit, to adore Manichaeus himself, the inventor of all these blasphemies. 5. Avoid all dealings with the heretics, but intercede with God for them. To confirm your hearts, therefore, dearly beloved, 
in the faith and truth. Let today's festival help you all, and let the Catholic confession be fortified by the testimony of the manifestation of the Savior's infancy, while we anathematize the blasphemy of those who deny the flesh of our nature in Christ, about which the blessed Apostle John has forewarned us in no doubtful utterance, saying, Every spirit which confesses Christ Jesus to have come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit which destroys Jesus is not of God, and this is Antichrist. Consequently, let no Christian have aught in common with men of this kind. Let him have no alliance or intercourse with such. Let it advantage the whole church that many of them in the mercy of God have been discovered and that their own confession has disclosed how sacrilegious their lives were. Let no one be deceived by their discriminations between food and food, by their soiled raiment, by their pale faces. Fasts are not holy which proceed not on the principle of abstinence, but with deceitful design. Let this be the end of their harming the unweary and deluding the ignorant. Henceforth no one's fall shall be excusable. No longer must he be held simple, but extremely worthless and perverse, who hereafter shall be found entangled in detestable error. A practice countenanced by the Church and divinely instituted, not only do we not forbid, we even incite you to, that you should supplicate the Lord even for such, since we also with tears and mourning feel pity for the ruins of cheated souls, carrying out the Apostle's example of loving-kindness so as to be weak with those that are weak, and to weep with those that weep. For we hope that God's mercy can be won by the many tears and due amendment of the fallen, because so long as life remains in the body, no man's restoration must be despaired of, but the reform of all desired with the Lord's help, who raiseth up them that are crushed, looseth them that are chained, giveth light to the blind. To whom? His honor and glory for ever and ever. Amen. End of Sermon 34